Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking with my friend Bob and my friend Jim. We do not have Matt with us, unfortunately. It's a very sad day, but <laughs> he should be back sometime. Uh, we are presenting the next episode. It's been a little while since we've done an In Search Of, and this is In Search Of Episode 4. It is the Bermuda Triangle, and I'm so excited to present. I've been wanting to get to the Bermuda Triangle or Bigfoot things. I got to tell you, the next three weeks, we are in uh, in search of heaven, I tell you, because we're going to have Bermuda Triangle is episode four, episode five is Bigfoot, and episode six is Killer Bees. So I think uh, we're into some great stuff. I do not know. I would assume they had bees the can, right? Probably, you would assume they had at least five or six weeks that were recorded ready to go. And you would think you would pick the best one and go, let's start with that. But instead, they start with the one on plants as the first episode. And then the next two are kind of rehashes a little bit of the, the stuff that we've seen in all the specials. And uh, this is where they really start feeling like they're in new ground that's that's interesting and fun. So uh, anyway. Killer, here, killer bees? What was that? Killer bees. Killer bees. Killer bees. Killer bees. The 70s. What is that even doing in there? I mean, you know, okay, Bigfoot, you know, does he exist? Bermuda Triangle, does he exist? Plants really know what you're saying or whatever. Killer bees were actually a thing. <laughs> it's not like they're not like there's some mythical creature or something. Maybe they were. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, I have an issue here. Uh, we're going to have a lot of complaints if you're saying that Bigfoot and Bermuda Triangle oh. are real things. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of people that believe those are 100% real things. Um, I, killer bees, I will say, of all the episodes, I'm, I'm killer bees really killed yeah. us like they were expecting them to, which is good. So, <laughs> that, that is true. Yes. Now we just got mur murder hornets, but murder we'll hornets. talk about that later. But that's, I think that's the, the thing that they thought they were going to take over the world, like wipe out all our bees and yep. the regular honeybees, and the world will come to an end. Yeah. And so uh, that'll be interesting to cover that. And so it, it'll be fun. And, and you got to remember, In Search Of ran 24 episodes a season for five years or something. So, I mean, they couldn't just do mystery stuff. A lot of it was mysteries, but some of it would be more a scientific episode. Well, certainly the plant episode they started with was certainly more on the scientific sort of end than a mystery sort of end it was it, you know it, they want to go over anything that's kind of a little different a little offbeat but it, towards the science sort of area is what they do but yeah that would be tough to get enough subject matter to, to do a show like that for so many so many episodes. well especially considering before they had the tv series when they were doing the specials we realized that every special was a rehash of the last special so <laughs> they didn't even have enough to do a special a year and <laughs> have it be new uh but anyway so bob you know, what, do you, what do you got maybe it's, maybe maybe it's the internet but the guys that do the bedtime stories youtube channel have i don't know they're into 150 and there's a, pretty much a new episode every week that's some paranormal scientific mystery thing they get kind of down into the details of single events but well I it'd be easier now for every show that followed this if you don't know what to do you simply look at an in search of show and say oh they did one on this let's do a follow-up on that let's let's do an episode so i mean you did have what 
125 different shows that you could point to and go, oh, I'm going to watch that episode and see what's new stuff that we can find about that subject. So and I would assume part of that that would be a lot of yeah. the in search of and so forth, uh, the current ones. Maybe it's the internet, internet now probably makes it easy to do research. It, and find I would think so. Find places. Yeah, because back then, it'd be like, well, we've got a couple books we can read or something. And then besides that, we have to interview these scientists and things. It, it becomes much more difficult than it does now. And, and you couldn't, like now, you could do interviewing scientists or getting information. I mean, Bob does it for his show. And uh, you can just do it over Zoom. And, and it makes it a lot easier than it used to be. Um, well, let's give a plug for Bob's show. What's your show called? Not Forgotten, Forget, forget Me Not. Uh, <laughs> oh, gee, that's pretty good. That's the narrator on the show can't remember what show he's on, but uh, it's called But Not Forgotten on YouTube. Yeah. Search on, If you search But Not Forgotten and Emma, you'll come to episode one, so that's probably the easiest way. And yeah. Daryl's a narrator, so um, yeah, he usually forgets his lines in the middle of it. <laughs> Can, 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 I, can I plug mine? Sure, but I don't think you have one, but if you do, that's great. It's called Kitty Cat Keiku. <laughs> Kitty Cat with K's and Keiku, C-A-K-E-U. Is, yeah. is that your daughter's? Yeah, it's my daughter's YouTube channel. Okay. Nice. It, it's got a good crossover, you know, and nine-year-old uh, doing kind of weird animation characters you know fits right in here with the audience will be pretty good cross section. <laughs> they'll slip right into that i'm sure <laughs> well the audience if they've been listening to my shows they've, they've been listening I, I do a thing with john henderson who uh runs a jack benny uh, podcast as well but he also does a podcast called uh, star trek kids where he redoes episodes of the original Star Trek but for his kids and with some of their toys and things and uh, it's fun and and I think that would tie in with your daughter's show pretty well so uh anyway so so watch watch John's uh Star Trek kids but also watch Kitty Cat Keiku yeah yeah, yeah but I, don't have, I have no idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> Do you appear in any episodes, Jim? I do not. It's all 100% animation. Oh. That's pretty okay. cool that she does that, though. Yeah, yeah she does cool. a lot of that stuff, so. You're looking for, like, a to do that as a career? No, no. Just huh. as a hobby. She likes, she likes drawing and art and stuff like that. But. Well, how old is she now? Nine. Nine, yeah. But those guys, I mean, the guys that are, like, you know, get those David Finch, those really good comic artists, make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You can make money with it, but most people don't. So, you know, I'm, a, well, I, I'm pushing her to get a career that actually pays, you know, decent money, and then you'll have lots of time for your hobbies to be able to do all your animation and your art stuff and things like that. Or you your podcast like this one, I tell yeah. you. Well, uh, you know, we completely just blown this whole episode away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, well, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, we're talking. Yeah, they, they're right there on the edge of their seats with this. Uh, uh, but I will say that, that Bob and I were doing stuff way back when, the Viewmaster showings that we had, where we actually made money 
off of the neighbor kids <laughs> showing Viewmaster Theater and reading the scripts from the Viewmasters. And, and marking up candy from the store. Yeah, and it ties <laughs> into uh, to what we do today. So you never know, your daughter might be doing something related in the future. Anyway, so uh, you, the you built, triangle. what do so we you, So you built small so children for their lunch money? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, now? that's right. That's, that's exactly yep. right. We got rich there. Uh, invested that promptly in Microsoft, and so now we're worth millions. It's too bad we didn't keep up the entrepreneurial spirit. And yeah. Anyway, on to the, the subject. On, on to the episode at hand. Uh, what did you think of this Bermuda, tri Bermuda Triangle episode, Bob? You're talking to me? Yeah. You're named Bob. Oh, the, other, the other Bob. The other Bob. <laughs> Not Bob. <laughs> he, he was he was doing Robert De Niro there or whatever. You talking to me? You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Go ahead. Uh, of course, I loved it. Right, I'm into that. Like, man, I'm into it. Um, it was interesting to see the cases they pick. Almost every, I think every show that does Bermuda Trial has got to do Flight 19. That's just a yeah. classic, classic case. But they didn't cover some of the other ones that are classic, like the Cyclops. That's another one that everyone covers. They did some other ones, which was interesting, but Soul for Queen. Then the whole thing about that radio show, that was kind of interesting. I, I don't know about the guy in his plane that crashed. You know, who knows what happened when it crashed. So it was kind of, they picked some cases that were not quite as common. So that was cool. I, of course, loved it. I mean, it was only like 25 minutes long, and I love the subject matter, so I can't. Yeah. And I love Nimoy, so it's really not bad I could say about it other than it was Film. Well, even though it was filmed in the seventies, that's cool because it's nostalgic. So, yeah. You, you know, I, I I was thinking that they had found Flight Nineteen, but then I was reading up on it, and there's been a lot of times they thought they found it, but they didn't. You know, they they find something, it's like, oh, here, this is it, but then it winds up not yeah. making it and stuff. So I'm not sure. They did. They haven't found it. This one guy thought he found he found five like Avenger torpedo bombers like in this one half mile radius and then they drove down and got the tail numbers they're like five independent crashes yeah which wow. was another mystery so how they came within a half mile of each other like in totally independent so no they haven't there's also the theories that it turned and then they're in the oak Okie swamp in florida because they actually went back over land yeah they, they actually never found any wreckage or anything yet when they were like, like water spouts, I think there's been some ideas. There's been, you know, water spouts or something in the Bermuda Triangle that caused the ships and the planes that are low, flying low to crash. And, and methane gas release, and of course, space aliens always got to come in. <laughs> Bigfoot. Bigfoot. I think it's Bigfoot. Yeah. Gotta be. Gotta be. <laughs> well, uh, I just. I'd been waiting for Bermuda Triangle to come up and I was hoping that, that we'd get an episode earlier than later. I was going, please don't get cover Bermuda Triangle in season four or something. But no, it was episode four, which is very good. Uh, and then to, to see that Bigfoot's our next episode, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is awesome. So, because uh, this is the heart. When you think of In Search Of, I think of essentially two subjects. I think of Bigfoot and I think of a Bermuda Triangle for some reason. And Pyramids. And pyramids, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it's just it it it's neat to have this one. Uh, I love that that this copy that's out there on YouTube. That of course will uh, 
link to and feature it'll be right after we're done talking Down below. yeah it uh it, it's a really nice copy it's it's really clear there's there's two on youtube one that wasn't so clear and one that was really clear so I'm glad we can present the clear one and uh and it's the sound is really nice in there it's it's got great sound as well so as a podcast if you're listening to it versus watching it um it's it's neat to listen to and i'm surprised going through these in search ofs i didn't realize how well they would work for just radio to to, lo to lose the picture but they're so well narrated and the stories kind of go and so often the the pictures are just kind of background things for what they're talking about and not necessarily a direct they're not actually showing they might show you a picture of an airplane flying or something but it's not the airplane they're really talking about because of course that thing's disappeared or whatever so so it actually works well to present them just an audio version so and hearing Nimoy talk is just awesome so very enjoyable a great episode um it it reminded me though too a little bit I will say the plant episode I just enjoyed for enjoyment's sake this one starts to get where you know, I can feel the hackles of my neck or whatever start to go up. It's like I was watching it late at night and I was like, you know what? Maybe I need to watch In Search of during the day. It's a little scary. <laughs> I still get scared at these things. <laughs> What's that noise outside? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a coyote or is that a ghost? I don't know. What is that? Well, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> it's Amelia Earhart. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you get Jim's take on it? Yeah, Jim, what is your take on it? Oh, I, I have, you know, I, I, I wonder, we haven't heard of any other planes and boats and things sinking and crashing recently. So, you know, I think the, the aliens or whatever that were causing them or the, the gas leaks or the water spouts or whatever was causing them must have stopped because... You know, we haven't seen it anymore. Either that or technology got better, so planes didn't crash as often and boats didn't sink as often. Well, but yeah, this ties into Bob since he's our researcher and everything. Is that correct? I mean, that's that would be my take as well, is that we haven't had that much since this series aired in, what, 77. I haven't heard of losing a bunch of crafts in Bermuda Triangle since, but maybe we have, and we just haven't heard about it as much. Yeah, there's, there's still stuff going on. We just don't, it's like it's kind of old hat now. Like, it's kind of like you don't see UFO articles in the newspaper anymore, even though there's tons of UFO sightings every week, right? Yeah. So I think I mean, it's the Illuminati. They're, 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 they're trying to squelch the information and not releasing it so that nobody knows what's really going on. So he, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't get the kind of thing he's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think all these uh, folks that we've lost in the Bermuda Triangle have showed up in a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. or something. I, yeah, yeah, in the basement. They found them in the basement, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next to QAnon or whatever those guys. Yes, and and JFK and and uh, and I, and, I, and Hillary the are grassy like, knoll yeah. running the thing or something. So mm -hmm. anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a mess of a podcast. Anyway, uh, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. But uh, uh, Bob, anything else about uh, Bermuda Triangle? That's 
or thoughts on In Search of in general? No, I, I thought it was a great episode. I wish it would have been longer. There's tons of cases they could have covered. They didn't cover the Cyclops. Like, like lots of individual like boats and stuff like, you know, have disappeared that they never found. Uh, there was another show that they did where they did some recent cases and they found some weird like depression straight down like it was Doug. Yeah, there's lots of stuff they could have covered. Well, but, and, and the new uh, In Search Of with Quinto, Quinto doing it, I assume is an hour long. Is I mean, do you know, Bob? Yeah, I can't remember if they covered that one, though. I don't know if they no, covered I don't know, but I'm just saying it's, there's more to it. I was surprised to find out these episodes were a half hour long, if, you know, and without commercials and everything, you know, like 23 minutes or something. Uh, and just, there's so... It's interesting. Now, when I was looking at Wikipedia, it's Wikipedia. So uh, it was saying the dates, they weren't 100% sure on the dates and things, but they had dates listed. But if you look at the dates, it sure looks like, like this would have been an incredible weekend if you go by the dates, because it looks like one of them was released on Saturday, one of them was released on Sunday, like they'd run two episodes a week. And so uh, this would have been this one week weekend back in 77 would have been the uh, Bermuda Triangle on Saturday and Bigfoot on Sunday. So uh, crazy. And it looks like that's the way they were aired. But if there's only 24 episodes a season, that means in 12 weeks, you'd burn through all your episodes. So that seems kind of weird. So I, I don't know if those dates are right or wrong. And I don't remember if it seemed like it was, it did seem like it was on every weekend and all that, but I don't remember if it seemed like it was on two days a weekend or not. Bob, do you have any recollection of that? Does that sound right? It seemed like it was every once a week, but man, it seemed like it was long when we were kids. I don't know. It's really short now, but it seemed like when we were kids, it felt like it was an hour. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It felt like it was a lot longer than, than, than it was. Um, and if I remember right, it'd come on on one station and then the other station would be playing right before or after it, like Twilight Zone or Star Trek. So it was kind of cool that you could kind of watch all those shows kind of back to back if a person wanted to at the time, because you couldn't record anything. So you just had to enjoy them. It's just so cool now that we can record shows and watch them later. And we can watch episodes of In Search Of, even if it's not on television, you can watch it on YouTube. I mean, there's so many ways to get shows now. And uh, we have access to a ton of shows so it's awesome anyway um end it there gentlemen yeah okay so uh, enjoy the episode of uh our famous in search of with leonard nimoy is a very fun and entertaining show so we'll see you guys next week for more leonard nimoy in in search of very awesome The south coastal beaches of Florida bask in the warm Caribbean breezes. But the tranquil waters might obscure a mysterious phenomenon that preys on those who venture into the coastal area. A United States Air Force bomber disappeared in 1968. More than 1,000 lives have been lost under circumstances that cause veteran sailors to become uneasy traversing these waters. For ships like the Proteus have disappeared without a trace.
whatever it is that haunts the waters between the Florida coast, the islands of Bermuda, and the Bahamas, has claimed cargo craft like the White Sulphur Queen. In the open waters of the Atlantic Ocean, there abides a phenomenon difficult to explain, a danger zone that seems to swallow ships and planes. No one has found a satisfactory answer, but somewhere in this region, between the sea and the sky, lurks the solution to the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. off the coast of Florida, an area of some 60,000 square miles in which lurks the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. The 7th U.S. Coast Guard District protects one of the busiest air-sea traffic lanes in the world. The amount of travel creates a year-round headache for Coast Guard patrols. Three persons on board is overdue on a fishing trip. Vessels transiting area are... In a year, the district answers more than 10,000 rescue calls, an average of 25 a day. Most of the calls are routine. Engine trouble, boat aground on a reef, out of fuel. Some, however, are urgent, even desperate crises at sea. 36-foot cabin cruiser, 4 POB, disabled, sinking, 3 miles, 2 east, plus life. Within seconds of a confirmed emergency, veteran Coast Guard rescue crews head for distressed boats. The greatest number of calls concern overdue boats. Some cases stem simply from the anxiety of shorebound relatives. Others are caused by the vast number of inexperienced weekend sailors, long on daring, but short on navigation skills. And then there are the other cases the disappearances that cannot be explained. They occur most often in a triangle-shaped wedge bounded by Florida, the Bahamas, and the island of Bermuda, the so-called Bermuda Triangle. The search for solution to the Bermuda Triangle mystery has been abandoned by some experts who claim there is no mystery. On a television program underwritten in part by a National Science Foundation, the statement was made that science does not have to investigate the Bermuda Triangle. Each disappearance, the program contended, can be readily explained. 
The only possibilities not taken into consideration by that statement are the personal stories of individuals who've been involved in strange occurrences. Somewhere in these stories, the clues may exist that will open the way to the final solution of the Bermuda Triangle mystery. A Coast Guard cutter sails for home. It's the same kind of vessel that once carried a young lieutenant named Frank Flynn. So we came on watch at just before midnight. Everything was perfect. It was a flat, calm night. The uh, winds were gentle, ceiling and visibility unlimited. Just a perfect night. Frank Flynn was a 20-year career officer in the Coast Guard. He rose to the rank of lieutenant commander before retiring. He has sailed in the Bermuda Triangle many times in his military career. Only once did something mysterious happen. Only once. At about 1.30 in the morning, I glanced by the radar, and uh, a solid green line caught my eye on the radar scope. And uh, called my assistant over, and I said, what do you think of this? It was a little surprising, and uh, he says, it looks like land. I said, I agree. At that point, I went over, ran a recheck of the Loran fix, because we were said to be 100, 165 miles offshore. We approached the unknown radar target rather carefully, and it appeared to be a uh, just a gray wall. It was very, very surprising. I'd never encountered anything like this. Overhead, you could still see the the stars, and the seas were still calm. There was no no action. Everything was everything was perfect, other than this gray mass just sitting there. Well, I put uh, almost 11 years of my 20-year career at sea. I never encountered anything like it. Nothing. We shined the light up as far as we could, almost vertically, and uh, just didn't seem to be any end to this thing. I was on the port wing of the bridge and uh, looked up at the carbonic light. I could just barely see a, a very dull glow. So we continued on and uh, noticed irritation, a little bit of throat irritation, and a little difficulty in breathing. The uh, engine room called, indicating they were having a little problems with steam pressure. This had happened before in clear weather. Possibly it happened at that same time. I don't think so. I think that uh, the two things were related. At that point, the uh, Captain Strouch made a determination that he was getting out of there. 200 shafts are in, sir. Farewell. He ordered left full rudder. We were going to go back out. And at that point, we broke through. We were on the other side. We're really not sure what we encountered. I don't think anyone is. Talked to some of the nation's leading oceanographers. They offered no, no real explanation as to what we might have encountered. I don't think it had been encountered before or since.
After a long and distinguished career, an experienced Coast Guard officer wonders about a mysterious night in the Bermuda Triangle. There are pilots who have flown countless times through the Bermuda Triangle and experienced no difficulty. Bob Spielman has flown extensively in the Bermuda Triangle. Nothing unusual has ever threatened him, but a plane he owned was involved in a mysterious event. I loaned the plane to some friends who have flown it extensively, and they flew in the area of uh, Grand Bahama Island on the way to a further destination. The day prior to the incident, by the way, I flew the plane myself into the same area we're talking about with no incident whatever. The weather was considered fantastic, the finest flying weather possible, ceiling invisibility unlimited, uh, the kind of weather that any pilot dreams about. And I've been in many situations where communication has been mysteriously lost in this given area, and I just chalked it up to experience. But uh, even after looking into it carefully and looking into all of the gadgetry on board the aircraft, there's no explanation as to why. Atmospheric conditions didn't explain it. Uh, mechanical failure didn't explain it. It just happened. Delta Tower, command team 41, Julia Whiskey, SMA 5, Southeast, walking 12 inbound over. And they were in radio contact with the Miami radio facility, aviation facility, and suddenly contact was lost, and the plane never arrived at its destination. Somehow, the Triangle had claimed five victims on a clear day in good weather. And there was no way to explain the origin of the accident. The following day, I went with FAA investigators to the scene of the accident. And they uh, went through the wreckage very carefully, took some parts from the aircraft back to the United States. And they found through their extensive investigation that uh, one of the main wing structures that held the wing in place was subjected to such, to such a terrific force that it wrenched the wing right off the airplane. And it's their statement that uh, it's unbelievable that such a force could exist, specifically because the damage was done to only one part of the aircraft where everything else was relatively intact. Communications lost, a plane strangely missing. Both stand as consequences of a force that somehow exists. When our search continues, we will seek explanations of the Bermuda Triangle mystery. Ray Smithers classifies himself as an amateur researcher seeking a solution to the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Ray concedes that no single idea will provide the answer but is forced to wonder if there is any truth to what he heard one night while broadcasting on WFTL, Fort Lauderdale. In 19 years of radio, I've been in and out of a lot of studios, but uh, when I walk into this particular studio, I still get strange vibes. Ray was one of three people responsible for presenting a special late-night telephone interview program dealing with the Bermuda Triangle. During the broadcast, a call was received a call which is hard to believe is anything but gibberish. And yet, exploring the Bermuda Triangle. 
Bermuda Triangle Part 2. Normally, all the phone lines were blinking. They were all solid. We had hundreds and hundreds of calls. About 45 minutes into the broadcast, uh, Alan Moore went to answer a call and hit the first line. It was blinking as though a call was coming in, and there indeed was no one there. There was no sound as though someone was on the phone. It was just dead. WFTL, you're on the air. He proceeded to go down five additional lines, and they were all in the same condition. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, finally, on the sixth line, our caller started making a statement. Hello. There's one of you on the program who will understand what I'm going to say. And every living thing on this planet has an aura. The area that you are discussing now is the aura of this planet. It is the communicative channel through which the Millian Council governs this planet. Anyone going into the area, when the communicative channel is open, do not disappear, but they are in the timeless void. They are all perfectly alive and well. It is the only area through which the Council can communicate with this planet. Well, we lost someone here. Let's see. Let's see who we have. There is no Dr. way to certify the authenticity of the call. All we know is the strange result the call produced. It's Monday morning. The morning DJ on the air offhandedly said, have you heard our broadcast in the Bermuda Triangle? We had quite a good show last night. Something just in general reference to the show. Uh, immediately after saying that, our switchboard lit up. People said, gee, I had a physical or mental reaction when that guy called last night on your show. That strange voice. An unprecedented number of callers reported an emotionally unsettling experience. Whether the caller is real or not, he provides a solution unsatisfying to any reasonable investigator. Personally, I have to say that as an amateur researcher in the subject, and someone who certainly has had the public pulse felt, my final conclusion is something strange is happening. I don't think everyone is a mysterious case, no. By the same token, there are cases that are totally, absolutely baffling and unexplainable. From 18th century British Navy records come the first indications of mysterious disappearances. In the early 20th century, there were cargo ships like the Marine Sulphur Queen, which disappeared with all hands. The ore-carrying freighter Proteus was lost without a trace in 1941. The United States Navy sub Scorpion lost in 1968. Months of investigation produced no clue to the reason for the sub sinking. In 1965, a C-119 was lost on routine patrol. And perhaps the best known disappearance of all, the story of Flight 19, a squadron of Navy planes lost in December of 1945. The squadron had a triangle out east and northeast of us to uh, fly as navigation training. Carlton Hamilton has been deeply involved in commercial and private aviation for 25 years in the area of the Bermuda Triangle. I've had uh, controller jobs at uh, Miami International Tower operations officer jobs at Miami International Tower, and uh, then chief of Opelaka ATC Tower. Hamilton was personally involved in the events leading to the disappearance of Flight 19. 
I was on duty as an airport traffic control tower operator during that particular flight. We at Miami Tower handled this flight on the initial phase just east of Miami. The flight departed on an instrument flight plan. As I recall, the flight went out at 4,000 feet. I believe they were supposed to climb up to 6,000 feet. The weather would be termed generally fair. Both civilian and military control tower operators made contact as the flight departed. Routine uh, instrument flight plan conversation that issues to a flight leader gives the aircraft the authority to fly at a certain altitude or a given altitude along with the fact that uh, he's going to follow a given course and uh, generally then the wind altimeter and routine things of this nature are issued to a flight of this nature there was no indication whatsoever that was anything wrong and i lost contact with it uh, it was never heard from again Five planes, 14 men lost somewhere. There should have been a trace. During the rescue attempt, the mystery deepened. Subsequently, a search aircraft, as a matter of fact, several search aircraft went out, but one of the PPY aircraft also went down on this search for the fighter-type aircraft particularly on the PBY, was a just sudden loss of ability to contact the aircraft. It's a finish of a transmission and then no answer. 250 planes and ships discovered no trace of the missing squadron. For Carlton Hamilton, that fact deepens the enigma of the Bermuda Triangle. They did not ever find any trace of any one of the fighters, nor did they find any trace of the PBY search aircraft. He himself survived what can only be termed still another mystery of the region. I have been on one occasion myself flying with a friend in a twin beach craft and we were just offshore of Miami Beach and we lost all lights and all navigation in the airplane. In many Bermuda Triangle disappearances, the sequence of events begins with a loss of radar and navigation capability. Now just before we landed, all the lights and the navigation equipment come back on in the airplane. And we've never had any explanation for this, never found any explanation for it. But this actually happened. Each of the disappearances that has been cataloged in this program has in common an unexplainable element. Does Carlton Hamilton, a veteran of Bermuda Triangle Aviation, believe that there is a mystery involved? Uh, yes, I do. I believe that there is something very definitely within that Devil's Triangle. At low altitudes, I don't think that it extends uh, too high above the uh, surface, but possibly uh, six to eight, maybe 10,000 feet. 
and uh, possibly is being created by something uh, under the surface uh, or at the floor of the ocean uh, has been my theory of it. Somewhere beneath the Atlantic may lie the solution to the Bermuda Triangle mystery. veteran naval coast guard officer encounters a strange phenomenon in the Bermuda Triangle. A pilot with many hours of flying time finds his plane torn apart by an unknown force. A broadcaster receives a message so strange it can be called otherworldly. A control tower operator earnestly believes that the mystery of the triangle is linked to the strange force. In light of the testimony of four individuals, it seems far-fetched to presume that the Bermuda Triangle mystery has been solved. To say, in essence, that science need not investigate is to destroy the rationale for any scientific quest. The unknown force, it appears, is there in the Bermuda Triangle, begging for investigation.